God's so good. You want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to preach the cross to you this morning. Is that okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Let's hop into this word. Say amen when you're there. So in this text, Paul is addressing uh, denominationalism. How many of you know that denominations existed long ago? It was, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. They, they, man wants to attach himself to man. Uh, we're, we're so used to following man. We're so used to uh, uh, making heroes of men. Um, and in the scripture, Paul's writing a, a, a letter to the church, and he's saying, look, you guys, you, you, have, you have deviated from the main thing, and you're now putting your faith and your trust and your hope in men. And he's like, I, I, this isn't right. And so uh, we're going to hop in here, and he's going to address this. And we're going to see some uh, amazing promises through this scripture. He says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. First comment, how many of you know you can empty the cross of its power by, by, by relying on the wisdom of man instead of the solution of God for humanity? The cross, the cross is a promise of God's power. Like, I, I'm convinced. How many of you need a touch of God's power this morning? Like, I, I believe every single one of us, it's not about just coming into the kingdom. Like, in the church, if we're honest, the cross has become the symbol of our entry into the family of God. And it is. It's amazing. But we're going to see in a minute that the cross is an ongoing source or a doorway to God's heart, which is the power of God. The love of God is the power of God, and God is so good, He proves His love. He doesn't just say, I love you. He actually demonstrates His love. He's so different than us. Many of us, you've heard people growing up in your life, and they told you they loved you, but they never demonstrated their love because sin had marked them, and they lived selfishly. That's the mark of sin is selfishness. I remember one time I was, I was reading, and I was like, God, how did you win the world to yourself? And he said, go read John 3.16. And I said, I've read John 3.16. I know what it says. He says, go read it. I've read it. I know what it says. You ever get in one of those with God? He usually wins. And, uh, and so I went and read it, and I read it. For God so loved the world and all that. And I'm, okay, Lord, I knew it said that, you know. And, and then I just sat there for a minute, and he said, he said, you know I never preached that verse. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I lived it. And he said, you've turned, you've turned the proclamation of the gospel instead of a life lived. And yes, I believe in preaching the gospel, but God never lived that. He never preached that verse. He didn't run around saying that, that God loves you and I'm going to give my life for your sins. He, he embodied the message. And he became a manifestation of God's love to the earth. It was, it was an experience. Jesus was a tangible experience with God's love. Everywhere, everywhere he went, he became a conduit of the power of God. To answer a question that I believe has been in the human heart since the fall of man, which is, does God really love me? Amen. That's the question of all of our hearts. Does, does God, does the divine really love me? And the, and the cross, the gospel, was the revelation of the heart of God. It was meant to put us to rest. It was meant to be good news for our anxious soul. God loves you. And you could point to this moment in time, this man, the Son of God, hanging on a cross. You could point and go, well, how do you know he loves you? And you could point and you go, that's how I know. 
And in this man hanging on a cross, it becomes this open doorway. God opens his heart to humanity to not just tell us he loves us. He wants us to experience his love. He wants us to to experience in power what the cross provided. Amen? And so there's four, there's four distinct things I want to I highlight today. You can write them down. I'm going to have a four-point sermon. Amen? Hopefully it's the best four-point sermon you've ever heard. Listen to this. The first thing I want to highlight, there's many things I could talk about. I could stay here. I, I love the Word so much. I could preach to you until 5 o'clock this afternoon, and it would bring me great joy. It really would. It would bring me so much joy. If you could hang in with, with me, we order Jalisco, get some. Come on. Glory to God. Tex-Mex and the Word of God goes good together. But I'm just going to give you four, and then we'll all go get it afterwards. Amen? So listen, the, the first thing, the first thing the cross I, I want to touch on is the forgiveness of sins. And you, and you all know this, you've heard about this, and so I'm going to highlight that. How many of you know that when Jesus died on the cross, everything you've ever done was nailed to that cross? Amen? Everything you've ever done, he bore in his body your sin so that you could die to sin and live to righteousness. So we're going to talk about that. The second thing is he also crucified and buried your sinful nature. See, forgiveness was for what you did, but, you're, you're, but, but him burying you was for who you were. He, he took your nature upon himself. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, he who knew no sin, he became sin so that in him you could become the righteousness of God. There's a change in nature that the cross provides that's not just, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you for what you've done, but I'm actually going to cause you to be born again so that you can be new and no longer identify with a sinful nature. There's a ton of confusion about this in the body of Christ. A ton. When I was a little, like, seventh grade boy, a spiritual leader of mine, he told a group of us, he said, men will always struggle with lust in pornography. Meaning, you'll always have this, this tie to it. Like, you'll, you'll always stumble and fall. You'll never quite be free from sin until you die. When you tell a seventh grade boy that, guess what happens every time he's tempted? And for years of my life, I actually believed that the gospel couldn't save me from my sin. I thought it was going to be a struggle I had for the rest of my life. But I want to tell you specifically, I know it's not just a man issue. I know it's men and women. But uh, on, March 9th, uh, on March 9th, 2006, I encountered the power of God in such a way that I, I was addicted. I had lust, pornography, all that. I was bound in it as in my early 20s. And God delivered me. He set me free. And for, what is that, 2006, and we're in 2018, for 12 years, I've walked in freedom over that sin. Have I been tempted? Yes, but there is a power at work within me that's bearing a spiritual fruit called self-control, and he's given me dominion and freedom over sin. It's possible. It's, it's, it's possible. And in the church, we've made so much of our brokenness and sin that we haven't actually looked at the lamb and said, what's possible? How much freedom can we live in? I hear people say in the church all the time, well, we're not really going to be free from sin until we die. And what they're saying is that Jesus is no longer my Savior. Death is. 
If we can't be free from sin until we die, now I get what they're saying, the physical aspect of sin. Like, I, I understand that. We're gonna, there's a unique experience we have when we pass through the veil and walk with God. But we've under, we've, we've under promised what Jesus did on the cross. And we've so like skirted over, well, yeah, he just forgives your sins and this and this. No, it is so profound. And I want to put a confidence in you through the word of God. You don't take my word for it. I'm going to show you in the word that you actually become brand new. Amen? So we're going to touch on that. The third thing is, if you have sickness in your body, in your heart, in your mind, the cross provides a power, an experience with God's power so you can be healed and made whole. It's a promise. There is so much weirdness around physical healing. I've seen it. Man, I grew up in the Bible church. I'm now in the charismatic stream. And there's some weirdness surrounding healing, some spiritual gymnastics that we have to do to get God to heal us and touch us. People doing cartwheels and everything else, every other manner of, of thing to try to get God to touch us because we have a question mark. We don't, we're not certain of the will of God. Why? Because we're not beholding the Lamb. Let me, let me put it this way. If I, if I preach the gospel today, which I'm going to, and someone says, I want to get born again and put my faith in Jesus, and, and, I, and I do the altar call, how many of you in this room, you're 100% certain that person, if in faith they heard the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus say that they would be born again? How many of you, you're sure? You're like, they will be born again because they're putting their faith in God and what he did on the cross. Amen? Awesome. Now, same thing. What if someone here with stage four cancer comes to the altar and says, I would like to be healed of my stage four cancer. How many of you are as certain that they will be healed as that person will be born again? Oh, hallelujah. Way to go, David. Way to go, Holy Spirit. Listen, but the reason why there's a question mark, and I get it. I had a little brother die of cancer when I was four years old. I'm not, I'm not preaching this from a place of not having experienced loss and gone through trial. But what I'm saying is my life experience doesn't define what Jesus did. I'm not going to cater my experience to fit the word. I'm going to let the word shape my view of God and what he wants to do. And there are stripes upon Jesus' back that were a payment for healing. So the same certainty we have of us getting born again is the exact same certainty God wants you to have to come and receive physical and emotional healing from Him. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. We're going to touch on that. And, uh, and then the final thing, and this is so profound, I hope we get there, uh, is, is the cross provides access to the Father. There should have been a louder amen on that. <laughs> the whole point of this thing was so that you could walk back into your father's presence and know him face to face and to have fellowship with him, to have confidence with him, to wake up in the morning and go, God, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm your son. I'm so glad that I'm your daughter. Thanks for smiling on me this morning. And to live in such a confidence in, in his affection and his love for you that you actually have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And you know what true, you know what true Christian ministry is? Is having fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Abiding in his love. This is not, this is not the sum total of ministry. Amen. This isn't the pinnacle of ministry. Did you know that, that what you're doing is actually ministry? What I'm doing is serving the ministers biblically. I'm, I'm a servant of you ministers. And if you came here to be entertained by me, you're going to be disappointed. 
<laughs> you really will, I promise. I'm not very entertaining. But if you came here to receive equipment and something, some resource from Jesus, some power to go out and manifest that Jesus is alive, you'll get something this morning. Because I'm going to make Jesus really big and you can come and feast on him. Whether you're a congressman, whether you're a mom, whether you're a business owner, it's your friendship with God, it's your countenance, it's you walking in love that the world will go, what in the world are you? <laughs> the lady we checked into the hotel uh, and the lady was confused about who I was and, and whatever. I was just checking in. She didn't know who I was. And she was like, well, you're going to have to pay. It's, you're not here in time. Okay. I thought it was one. And, and she goes, well, are you an average American? And I was like, no, you know, not really. You know, like you just like, I wanted to say, I didn't say that. But in my head, I was like, no, I'm not, you know, born of the living God, you know. Oh, Lord, help us. So let me pray for us. Father, we need your help today. I ask for your great grace to be upon your word, that you'd fashion us into your image, that you would equip your sons and daughters, uh, God, to be shining lights in this crooked and perverse generation, Lord. God, in the midst of tragedies, in the midst of shootings and mail bombs, and God, every depraved, wicked thing that's happening upon this earth, Lord, I pray that out of Corpus Christi, God, that you would continue to shine forth a brilliant light, God, from this house, God, that sons and daughters would be sent out, God, to the corners of this nation, God, to start works of your kingdom, to start businesses, to start nonprofits, to start churches, Lord. I just pray this would become an apostolic sending center, Lord and that you would do something in our souls, in our hearts this morning that would so tether us to your heart, God, so that we wouldn't take our identity from what we're doing, but from the fact that we've been born of you and we belong to you. And so I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you to descend upon us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so in this cross is those four things I just touched on very briefly. And, and here's what I, I want to do is, is this, for, for, our, for our minds, this can be really hard to comprehend. All of the power to overcome in those four areas is found in the man Jesus hanging on a cross. And in the church sometimes, though, we look, because we're not experiencing the breakthrough that we want, we're looking every other place to this and that ministry, and we haven't learned to receive the power that is in the cross. Amen? And so look at this. Paul's addressing this, and he says, for the word, verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So he's saying, listen, for those of you in the church who are continually being saved, the cross is, present tense, the power of God. How many of you know that the gospel is a three-tenths salvation? The, you're saved in three tenses. When you put your faith in Jesus on the cross, you are saved, past tense. Your spirit is justified, you're born again, and you're made righteous in his sight. But what happens is even though you're spiritually born again, your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions has been trained for all these years by the fall of man. And so you're still thinking like hell. You're still thinking selfishly. Even though you get born again and you experience that freedom in your heart, we, Romans 5, you've been justified by God. You have peace with God. So you have peace with God, but you still think, feel, and act sometimes like the devil. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm the only one. <laughs> 
that when you got saved, there was a process of sanctification. So you were saved, you're present perfect, you're being saved through intimacy with God, right? Because the, the cross gave you access to your Father. So now baby Christians can walk in access face-to-face with their Father before they clean their act. Intimacy and closeness with God has nothing to do with how long you've been walking with God and everything to do with the cross. It's level. If you honor the cross, I've been walking with the Lord. I gave my life to the Lord when I was seven years old. I'm not closer to God today because because of anything I've done, because I preach the gospel. I'm close to God because of the cross. I only ever approach God through the cross. It's not like today, like like later this afternoon, I'm going to walk into God's presence like, hey, God, I really preached good this morning. How close can I get? Come on, your, your nearness to God only depends on the cross. I think that's really good. <laughs> keep, keep reading. Paul's addressing this. He's talking about this, and he says in, in chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony uh, of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith, your faith, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Listen to how, listen to how strategic Paul is. He's like, I knew that if I came to you and I dazzled you with my wisdom, Because how many of you know Paul had loads of earthly wisdom? Dude knew his Bible like crazy. He could blow your mind with what he knew out of the law and prophets. But he's like, I decided when I came to you, I didn't want to present that side of me to you, even though he's going to go on to say that if you're mature in Christ, I can actually talk to you about those things. He's like, but I wanted to present to you the cross and to, and to let you know that, that the cross is a foundation, which is the power of God that you'll continually receive power and life from if you build your life on the cross. This is so important, guys, because we live in a day, he says, your faith would rest not on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. He wants your faith. Your faith can only rest on God's power. The reason why many of you, your walk of faith isn't a faith of rest is because it's been upon the wisdom of man. You've been looking for solutions in men that constantly leave you striving. Men who are, are accustomed to leading people and, and, and then people putting their trust in them, they, they leave people on a hamster wheel. Like I would tell you, hey, do these three things and then you'll experience freedom. And they experience a measure of freedom. They, they kind of maybe overcome their flesh a little bit that week. And, and then they come back and they're like, okay, give me another five principles. Okay, give me another ten things. Right? And, and this is in Christian culture, not in this house, but, but in Christian culture, we've experienced that where man has prescribed principles instead of said, no, there's a man who hung on a cross who's the source of your power. And if you can learn to drink from that, if you can learn to access that power, then, then your faith will rest. You'll no longer strive. You're like, man, I'm struggling, but you'll always have a place you can go and to receive power. And you learn now, then the Christian walk becomes about accessing by faith the power of God demonstrated on the cross. It's like you got to know where to go. 
If I'm going to get groceries and I go to the hardware store, I'm going to be confused and hungry. Right? It's happening in the church, though. We're going to the hardware store instead of the grocery. We're trying to get things to fix a problem instead of eating. Jesus made himself palatable to you. He said, I am the bread of life. My body is true food and my blood is true drink. Consume me. Receive my love. His love was demonstrated on the cross. So one of the ways you eat is you behold the lamb and you let him love you. And as you behold the lamb, John, John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, I said this last service, we live in the Instagram generation. We do not know. We need to be humble here and acknowledge that we do not know as a culture how to behold. We think behold, we think we're doing good if we like, comment, and repost. That feels like robust for us. We're like, man, I really engaged with that post. I really took some time. You know, you get the, you download the app, the repost app, and you have to go in. And we think, man, I really spent a lot of time on that. And we feel good about that. And that's good. But, but as a generation, we're taught to consume little bite-sized chunks of people's lives. Come on with me. This, is, this happens in church. Right now, you could go home and podcast a much better 30-minute sermon. It's, it's with the technology, you can get bite-sized God, and we don't know how to behold we don't know how to behold. So the reason why we're not experiencing what he promised is because there was a prescription. John the Baptist was heaven's billboard for Jesus. God, the father was like, hey, we need to announce the son. How are we going to do it? And they're like, what about John? What, let's do the camel hair thing. Let's do the camel hair, the locust. Let's put him in the wilderness. He was heaven's billboard. And so he came with this message and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a beholding, there's a practical aspect of coming to the cross in secret and going, God, I'm going to behold you. I'm going to behold you because I, I came to you maybe once in an altar and received forgiveness of my sins, but I need a present, ongoing experience of your power in my life. And I know it's found in your cross. This, this lust addiction, this, this marriage problem, this business problem, whatever it is, I know that in beholding you, there is a power, a resource beyond myself that I can access if I'll only behold you. And you quiet your soul and, and you command your soul. You say, you be at rest, soul. You fear, you be at rest. Quiet down, anxiety. Quiet down, worry. I'm beholding the lamb. God has been good to you. And you bring your soul in alignment with the fact that God loves you. And you take time and you learn to drink from that well that is the cross. You learn to drink. And it's only a heart of faith that can really drink from that well. Because I promise you, your flesh, your flesh wants to fix it yourself. Your flesh wants to just move past. Your flesh will manifest in that place, won't it? You sit there, you try to quiet yourself, put your phone in another room, put your worship in another room, put your Bible in another room, uh-oh. <laughs> and you just behold the lamb, and you just behold the lamb, like, that can't help. Yes, it can. It's, it's your solution. It's your access to his power once and for all, and we don't know how to drink from it. We don't know how to eat from it. 
And so what we've done is we've, we've created, we've just looked every other place to feed our flesh, to make us feel better about our spirituality, but we're not actually improving our spiritual condition. Are you guys with me? Can anyone relate to this? And so I want to I hit on this. Uh, go, to, go to Colossians 2, 13 to 15. I want to give you faith for these four aspects. Then my wife's going to come and lead us in communion. Is that cool? Communion, we're going to take communion together as a family, and I believe that wherever you're at, if you need forgiveness, if you need to actually come to faith that your sinful nature has been crucified and buried, if you need physical or emotional healing, or if you need just a refreshed reminder that you have access to the Father, I am believing that as we partake of that communion, that there will be a manifestation of power in your mind, in your heart, in your body, in your spirit, something that jolts us alive and awake to who God is. Amen? And the real experience and demonstration of His power. If not, let's go home and I'm a liar. Amen? I'm, I'm fine with that. I have nothing to prove to you. Did you know that? I'm so free. I don't need to impress you. I don't need to impress you. I've, I've, I've captured the attention of my Father in heaven. Do you know when I leave this place, whether I ha- deliver a nice sermon or not, God's going to love me and be so pleased with me? It's so, it's so amazing to be free from the fear of man. I'm saying that because I was bound in it a long time. I was bound in the fear of man. I didn't know. I, I, I was looking for approval in your approving look. I really was. In, in people, I needed their approval, and God delivered me of the fear of man, and now I can actually love you and not be concerned about what you think about me. Because if I'm concerned about what you think about me, I'm going to shift the message and who I am to cater to how you're looking at me and how you feel towards me versus deliver the word of God in truth and in love, trusting that it's like a hammer that shatters the rock and a fire that consumes Yeah. If we're ministering for him, we have to get free of the fear of man. We have to, guys. The body of Christ has to get free of this fear of man thing. We have to. Because, the, because we're responding to the world on a plane that we were never meant to respond to them on. There's a wisdom in God that's higher than it all. It's a life lived. It's your life. Wisdom's justified by her children. Did you know that? Wisdom is justified by her children. The world's trying to argue who's right. And, and listen, let me, let me just do the children thing because we have almost five of them. I don't need to argue with you that my wife and I have been intimate. You could argue, well, you've never known your wife. I bring my kids over here, just walk around with my chest out. <laughs> Why? Because, because my children prove our intimacy. Think about that. My children, the fruit of our intimacy can be seen and touched and talked to. In Christ, this is the same invitation. Stop trying to prove to people that you're right. Get intimate with God and you'll actually have fruit and you just stand there and someone's trying to argue with your life and you just stand there and you're surrounded by all your glorious children in God and you just stand there. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to, to, to respond to the accusers. Well, you haven't do this, and you, your faith says this, and you go, man, I'm going to walk in love and humility. I'm going to love you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to forgive you. And you're just standing there surrounded by your spiritual children because you've been intimate with God. 
And we've forsaken that secret place of intimacy and tried to argue over here into the world trying to prove that we're right instead of just get intimate with God and let our life prove that we're right. Let the word become flesh in you. Amen. Someone's like, I don't believe the word. And you're like, okay. And you just keep loving them. And they're experiencing the word instead of you preaching the word at them only. I love preaching the word, but I don't only preach the word. I live the word. I live it so that when I preach, it comes with a punch because you can feel it because there's life, there's flesh wrapped around it. That's why God said, I didn't just preach that to you. I walked it. It's why the scribes, when Jesus talked, he said, they said, man, this guy teaches as one who has authority, not as the scribes. Why? Because he was his message. He would say it, but then there would be a demonstration of power. So look at this. I want to give you that confidence, that faith. Uh, Colossians 2.13 says this. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That's what we've done. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What was the legal demand of death? I mean, of... <laughs> there you go. Gave it to you. What was the legal, the legal demand of our sin and trespasses was death. That was the legal demand. Legally, we were required to pay death. If we brought our balance sheet before the Lord, he'd say, okay, where, where are we at here? Um, we've got this list of trespasses, and the payment, the wage that you owe me is death. Did you know that? There was a record, and, and, and in that record, there was a payment. And our payment to God was death. Death apart from him, separate from him forever. And he says, that record, God had to deal with that record. I said it this morning, God's not a lazy accountant. He's a wonderful accountant. He's wonderful. He's so precise. And so everything you've ever done, if you're in Christ, that record, that list, was nailed to Jesus on a cross. Look at it right here. He took that record and he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Listen, there's still people in this place, and you're intimidated every day by your record of debt. It's standing over you. It stands over you because you haven't learned to put your faith in this cross. And you've been trying to make up for your record of debt through spiritual service to God. You told God, if you'll save me, I'll, 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 I'll work for you the rest of my life. I'll live my life for you. And, and, and there, there can be a good prayer in that, and there can be a bad prayer in that. If you're working for God's approval to make up for what you did in the past, not knowing that you've been justified and you've been made right with him, you're, you're actually, everything you do is called a dead work because your conscience is evil, Hebrews says. Because you're trying to get right with God and you're bypassing the payment in the blood of Jesus, you're trying to make up for something that he's already done. I said it this morning, it would be like if, if, if we went to lunch together and I, and I bought your meal and you stayed there waiting, talking to the manager like, hey, I'm ready to pay for the meal. And they're like, it's been paid for. And you're like, no, 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 I'll do dishes. I'll do anything. This was a big meal. It was expensive. And you stayed in the restaurant trying to pay for a meal that was already paid for. The manager would be like, I don't know. There's no record. It's, it's already been paid. It's settled. And so I want to tell you, I don't care what it was, if it was abortion, sexual sin, divorce, whatever it is that you've been trying to overcome through, 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 your, through your works, let your record of debt be nailed to Jesus. Let it fully be upon him. You say, well, ah, there's too much shame. Listen, just receive it. 
just receive it. It's foolishness to the world. Like the world tells you you have to make up for it and prove that you're going to be faithful and, and do good and all that. How many of you know God doesn't love that way? Oh, I'm, I feel I'm, the Lord's on this thing. Listen, God doesn't say, if you do this, I'll love you. He gave his son fully before any of us ever said yes to him. No, you didn't get that. He gave himself 100% to mankind. It was, it's like this. It's like God got down on one knee. The Father did. And through his son on the cross, he extended a covenant to humanity. And he said, will you marry me? He said, will you marry me? And there Jesus was hanging on the cross, and it was the Father's proposal to humanity. He said, I want covenant with you. I want relationship with you. I want union with you. That's what the gospel and the cross is all about. It's about the heart of God that we didn't know. We couldn't see. We were blinded to God. Why? Because, because Adam and Eve opened our eyes to our own nakedness. When they ate the tree, it says their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And when they saw that they were naked, they were blinded to who God was. That's the, that's the fall of man. And it wasn't until the cross that our eyes could open and see God again. We couldn't see God. We were blinded to seeing God. We were groping around in this world. What, what does God think or feel about me? The fall of man blinded us to the nature of God. So why the gospel is such glorious, amazing news, why the cross is so vital to your walk, is it's the only thing that opens your eyes to what God is like. Your life, the business that was stolen from you, the, the betrayal that happened to your life, the, 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 the hard, the, 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 I even feel in this room there's Christian people that have done horrible things to you. That doesn't determine what God's like. And I'm sorry that you went through that. And the Father's sorry that you went through that. But the nature of God can only be seen in His Son. He's the exact representation of what the Father's like. He's the exact imprint of his very nature. And when you want to know what the Father's like, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself, not counting men's trespasses against them, but God making his appeal through us be reconciled to God. And so listen, we were blinded and we open our eyes. We see through Jesus on the cross that he loves us. And the giving of his son was no guarantee that mankind would respond to him. Love doesn't demand its own way. He didn't give his son and say, now I demand that you respond. He freely gave his son to humanity while we were sinners, Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love. So when you were in the height of your rebellion against God, it was in that moment he said, I'm going to give you the greatest gift you've ever received. But in the church, we flipped it. We say, if you get your act together, I'll give you my affection. If you clean yourself up, I'll give you access to my heart. Because we're still afraid of sin. We're still thinking sin. But God doesn't work that way. He says, in my gift of my love, I'll actually, you'll experience salvation in the giving of my love when you least deserve it. Marriages would be completely restored if you understood this principle. Oh, we're bringing it home now. Your marriage would be completely every issue in your marriage. I, I'm not kidding you. Every issue. 
would be resolved if you understood this one thing. Husbands, the record you've been keeping of debt against your spouse, spouse, the record of debt you've been keeping against your husband, how do you know you're keeping a record of debt against your spouse? You remember what they've done, you hold it in your heart, and you justify withholding affection to them because of that thing. You justify how you feel because of how they treated you, even if they were wrong. You say, well, what if they were wrong? That's exactly the point. It, you don't keep a record of stuff that's good. You don't. That's why so many wives don't feel like they're, they're, like they're appreciated. Because it's not like every day we're like, man, babe, thanks so much. You, uh, I, just, I wrote a list down of all that you did today. Um, you dealt with all of our kids. You know, like we don't do that. We keep records of wrongs because we're still learning how to grow in love. And I've deviated off my message, but that's okay. That's okay because the Lord's on this. We, we have to learn, guys, to do spiritual accounting with ourselves and with each other. The reason why you keep a record with your spouse or with your friends or with your family is because you actually think God's still keeping a record of you and your wrongs. When God, when God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he looks at you with no record of wrongs because love, my Bible says, keeps no record. He can't find it. Why? Because we just read scripturally. Like, this isn't, this isn't some, like, like weak, mamsy-pamsy gospel. Like, the blood of God himself was shed. There was a payment for it. It's not that there's no record of it because he just glossed it over and no. It's there was a massive payment for it. There was a payment for the cross. And so when you hold a record of debt against someone, you, are, you become a debt collector relationally. You become a debt collector and you're seeking to collect a debt that he already paid for. You're going, you need to pay me for something that you did for me, but God said, hey, I actually covered the bill. You have to hear this. You will get so delivered in your relationships. The cross binds us to this style of life. It's in covenant. You don't get to have covenant and all the blessings of God and say, well, then I want to treat people how I want to treat them. We don't get to do that. If you're born again in God by grace, by the Holy Spirit, and you're in covenant with the living God through the cross, then what you're saying is, God, thanks that I can have friendship with you, that you're no longer keeping a record of my sins. And now, because of that, we love because he first loved us. Amen? This isn't some spiritual strength that you demonstrate. This is an outflow of what he gave to you. And so because you know that he canceled your record of debt, and when he looks at you, he doesn't see anything you've done wrong. He's got the craziest look of smile and pleasure over you this morning if you're in Christ. Even if you're not in Christ, he's still looking at you and he's waiting for you to just respond to his son and just say, come home. Just come home. So I've never given my life to, to, to Christ. I've never, I don't know what to do. You just put your faith in Jesus. You say, I, I believe he died on that cross for me. I believe he loves me. I, I want to see God. I now know that he loves me. I didn't know that he loves me, but now I do know that he loves me. Then I want to be in, in relationship with him forever. 
And this relationship is not just some thing where you go to a, a Christian church now and you join the club and you, you know, whatever. It's a true, intimate friendship. Amen? Amen. And so, guys, I promise you, if we can learn to deal, to deal with the cross in our relationships, you, you, will, you will be blown away. Because the power of God now will come into your relationship. And only by the grace of God can you cancel someone's debt against you that you're holding on to. Only by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God. It's a love walk. Galatians says it this way, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Your faith in the cross should express itself in a love of the cross. Are you guys okay? Faith expressing itself through love. You believe that God loves you with no strings attached. You express that love to the world around you, starting at home. Starting at home. Oh, I feel this thing. Don't love the lost more than you love the brethren. It's easy to love the lost, my friends, because they never hurt you. They never did anything wrong to you. They're just out there hurting. I see it because I, I, I have a heart as an evangelist, and I see evangelists, and they have more love for the lost and more compassion and more grace for the lost than they do in the body of Christ. And it ought not to be so because actually a form of evangelism, according to Jesus, is that they will all know that we're Christians by our love for one another. Come on. God's up in our love game. He's given us a grace and access this morning to love each other in a profound way and to cancel the record of debt. And you say, how can I cancel that debt? It really hurt me. Here's, here's what you do. You learn to, to access the cross. I feel there's been betrayal. I, the reason I'm staying on this is there's been betrayal in this room within marriages, within families, there's been a, 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 a breach of trust, and there's, there's wounds and pain in here that you haven't known how to, how to deal with, and it's, it's spinning out of control. You're losing control because you have now justified. Here's the thing. You've justified withholding affections and being angry because you're right. You, you can be right and still walk not in love. Can I I'll share this story? So... I don't know when it was, maybe a year ago. I don't know. We don't remember now. Then no record. <laughs> I just can't find it. But, but I do remember for this reason, there's redemptive purpose in this. Uh, we were talking about some, I don't even remember what, to be honest. But she said something that I do remember how it made me feel, and it really hurt my feelings. And we got in an argument over it, and, and I was right. <laughs> I was right, you know. <laughs> Amen, man. We're in an argument, and I was right, and I knew I was right, and and I the whole day I was angry, and I was I felt that thing. You know, you feel that thing where like, you, and here's the here's the other litmus test where you know like your heart's not quite right with someone is you walk into the room and like you just don't want to talk to them. You know, like you just feel it. It's just like that, you know. And you give them, and if it's real bad, you don't even look at them. You just kind of. And the kids are there, and you, you actually express your anger through the kids. I've never, I mean, I've heard that's what people do. <laughs> God got real real. <laughs> you're, you're like mad at them, but you're like, stop doing that. 
you know, and it wasn't commensurate with what the kid did. That's just a little walking in the light as he's in the light. Amen. We're all being sanctified. <laughs> and I got on my bed that night, and I knew I didn't want to go to bed angry because I didn't want to give the devil a foothold. Amen. And so I said, God, I said, I'm really, I'm like, what she said was wrong. That really hurt. Like, I want you to understand it really hurt. I felt, I didn't feel hurt. I didn't feel loved. And, and I said, and God was listening to me, and he's like, I was like, yeah, she said this. And he's like, yeah, you're right. And like he like affirmed that I was right. Then I felt real good. I felt real good. I'm like, all right, we got a case now, Lord. What are we going to do? Let's take this up. Let's, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. I was ready for the judgment, you know. You know, that she was going to somehow in this prayer, she was going to come repenting and say how sorry she was. And I was just waiting for it. I knew I was doing some spiritual warfare over her heart and she was going to repent, you know. Oh, come on. Y'all like in secret, Lord, help them. Help them, Lord. Just make them fix their hearts, Lord. They're so wrong. Make them repent to me. <laughs> oh, I'm the only one. So, so I'm in there doing that, just, just getting disrobed here. You guys see it in my heart. And uh, the Lord said, you're right. And, and he just he kept telling me I was right. And I was like, okay, what are we going to do? And he said, but he said, um, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be like me? And I was like, oh. And, and God's so cool. He's such a ninja. Because, because he put his spirit. Look at how cool this is with you. I want you to see something. He put his spirit inside of you, inside of me. He put his very righteousness, the very nature of God is in each one of you. The very, the very likeness of Jesus. And what he did was he appealed to that part of me that has been one spirit with him. Because he knew in my heart of hearts, I want to walk like him. He knew it. He knew that I wanted to walk in forgiveness and love and that it was my flesh that was manifesting. And so he said, do you, do you want to be right or do you want to be like me? And I was like, mm, I want to be right. You know, you feel that, that, that tug, that pull. And I, I said this this morning, when, when you're bound in righteousness and love, it will confine you to doing the right thing more than a, 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 a sermon or law ever could. You could say, like, you know the right thing to do. Hey, you should just let this go. We know the Christian thing to do. But unless it comes from within and from your heart, it won't have any power. It won't. He was appealing. He didn't say, son, you need to let it go because that's what the cross says and you need to just love her like I loved her. He didn't say that. He didn't just give me this list. He said he appealed to who I am in him. He said, don't you want to be like me? Don't you want to access my grace in this moment to manifest a love that's not your own? Don't you want to do that? I said, yes, I do. I do want to do that. And he said, okay, here's the deal. Treat her in your heart like it never happened, and put that blow that came against your heart, put it where it belongs on the cross, because I paid for it. That's where the record of debt goes. Put it there and, and, and open your heart to her again like it never happened. And only the grace of God can do that. And we didn't, what, what could become a thing where I'm like, hey, okay, you need to check your heart. Why did you say that? We need to go get this figured out. Like we could have then, we, we could have then gone on this, this rabbit trail of trying to deal with whatever issue that caused that instead of going, wow, love just, love covers a multitude of sins. And we just, broom, just the grace of God. And now all of a sudden we move past it and I no longer bring that up and go, well, remember that time I let you off the hook? You need to let me off the hook, right? That's, you can't do that either, guys. Some of y'all are too good of accountants. 
or maybe you're not good. You put it there, it stays there, and you never bring it back again. Amen? All right, here's the last thing I, I want to touch on. Um, I want to talk about the physical, uh, the physical and emotional healing because I believe that there's people in this room you need physical healing. And so uh, uh, Christy's going to come up. If the band wants to come up and just start playing a little bit, um, we're going to go into ministry time here. But um, I, I believe as we take communion, there's going to be um, a canceling of records this morning. That before you take it, before you take it, you're, you're reminding yourself and your spouse and your family members that you have covenanted with God to no longer treat people regard, regarding the flesh or according to the flesh, 2 Corinthians 5. You can write this stuff down because you're going you're gonna to want to search this out in the scriptures for yourself. Don't take my word for it. But 2 Corinthians 5 is such a profound equipping for this where you no longer regard people according to the flesh, but according to who they are in Christ. Amen? And so as you, as you take it, and Christy's going to come and lead you. She's got a, she had a dream last night that I believe is a prophetic word as well, um, and we're going to pray. But I, I'm going to believe that God's going to encounter your heart in such a way that wipes the record clean, and that angst and that turmoil that's been in your marriage, that, that thing that's wedged between you, is going to be powerfully uprooted. And there's going to be a genuine love and reconciliation that happens, not just with your spouse. Um, I believe children are going to be reconciled. Some of you are holding this against your kids. Kids, some of you are holding this against your parents. Um, I just believe like this wholesale, like canceling of debts across the board. And I would encourage you, I, I feel this strongly. I would not take communion unless you're willing to do that. Unless you're willing to let the record be canceled. And it's not to say that you have to, you can't do it. It's just you're coming underneath what he's done. Amen? But the, but the last thing, and I just want to touch on this, it's uh, 1 Peter 2, 24. Just go there real quick. 1 Peter 2, 24. Yeah, you can go ahead and play. I, I touched on this uh, earlier. Verse 24, he says this. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, past tense. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now, please don't, don't I know you've heard that a thousand times. I want you to engage with his wounds right now in your imagination by the Holy Spirit. He either did or he didn't have a whip with stones and glass in it, ripping the flesh off his back. He either did or he didn't. And if he did, those, those massive stripes and gaping canyons of wounds across his back, they were a specific, particular payment for your physical healing. And the reason that he allowed those stripes, that he became that offering, is that he wanted to remove all the effects of the fall of man off of humanity. We were never ma made for sickness. We were never made for death. And the cross is a wholesale healing and redemption, body, soul, and spirit. There's nothing lacking. And I believe genuinely, as Christy comes and leads us in communion, 
that as we take this communion, there is going to be a tangible flow of God's power into your mortal body. A tangible experience of His power in your body, in your mind, in your heart. I believe anxiety will be broken off. I believe depression will be broken off. Substance abuse broken off. Lust addictions, oh, hallelujah, broken off today in Jesus' name. Marriage is restored. I'm telling you, I, I even felt like arthritis in the knees. It's just going to be healed like that, just, just like that. As you consume the meal in faith and you know that it's, it's provision for your healing. Amen? Amen. So before we go up and get the, the body and the blood. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to share a dream I had last night. I, I, was, I told Peter yesterday that I wanted to lead the body in communion because I've, over the course of the past few years, the Lord showed me the power of the blood and the body. And, you know, it says in the word, uh, he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. And obviously that's more than just taking a meal, right? But it's our very life and sustenance comes from the blood and the body of Jesus that was broken for us. We don't have anything if we don't have that. And I had a dream last night, and I, um, I wasn't even thinking about sharing it until I was sitting in the service, and I said, God, I want to be able to share. There's a million things that I could share, but I want to be able to share something that's for, for these people. And, um, and so I'm going to share the dream and what I think the interpretation is of the dream, and I believe there's a response in here. But um, I had a dream last night, and my dream... Uh, my little girl was playing with another little girl. My little girl's name is Faith, and she was playing with another little girl in the swimming pool. And this other little girl kind of, in a playing way, pulled Faith underwater. And I, they were clearly underwater too long. And so I jumped in the pool, and Faith came up. I, I kind of, I was concerned about my little girl. I got her up, and she was okay. And the little, uh, the other little girl wasn't coming up, and I knew and, and I was looking over at, the, uh, at her mom, and her mom wasn't overly concerned, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I, I, was, I was wanting to help the little girl, but I knew that this little girl was going to need more than my help. And I literally woke up yelling, call the lifeguard. And I, and I woke Peter up out of bed. And I, I feel like and the Lord was giving me the interpretation, you know, my little girl was fine. She was in faith. You know, her name is Faith. She was, she was okay, but this other little girl needed help. She was underwater, and she needed a lifesaver. And it's a really simple, simple call, but I, I feel like there are people in here who are in faith, and you're good, but there are people, and they're underwater, and you literally need a lifesaver. And I, I think it's spiritual, but I think it's also, I don't know if it's physical, if there's anybody in here who's literally contemplating taking their life. I don't know that, but you need a lifesaver. And, um, and Jesus is the lifesaver. And his body and his blood, they're the lifesaver for you. And so I just, I just feel that if, if there's someone and you know in your gut, like you can't, that little girl needed help. I couldn't help her. She wasn't going to be able to breathe unless someone breathed life into her. And so if you feel that you need someone, 
literally to breathe life into you. I believe that as you come forward and as you, as you take the body and the blood, it doesn't save you. It's a confession of faith in Christ that saves you, but he wants to save you. He wants to encounter you. And so I'm just going to believe that the Lord in your, in your act of faith, that he is going to encounter you. He's going to encounter you because you need him to save you. You need a literal savior.